Did you ever hear of Kong? Why, yes. Some native superstition, isn't it? A god or a spirit or something. Well, anyway, neither beast nor man. Something monstrous, all-powerful, still living, still holding that island in a grip of deadly fear. Well, every legend has a basis of truth. Welcome to Now Playing's King Kong Retrospective Series. I'm offering him adventure, fame, the thrill of a lifetime, and a long sea voyage. Well, I don't see how you can be amused by gorillas. I think they're dull. Well, this one's 60 feet tall. What do you think of him? 60 feet? That's right. This is Kong, the strongest living creature on Earth. Hosted by Stuart. I, I, I was just afraid that you might be one of those self-obsessed literary types. Mm -hmm. The Tweety Twerp with his nose in this book. Jacob. I'm on the level. No funny business. Trust me and keep your chin up. And Arnie. Here we are. Just one big happy family. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Are you sure about this? We're primates too. Listener discretion is advised. It's time to show Kong that man is king. We hope you enjoy the show. Lights, cameras, Kong. Today we're discussing King Kong versus Godzilla, starring King Kong, Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. Directed by Ishiro Honda. This is the now playing co-host who loves a monster mash, Arnie. Banzai! It's Stuart. And this is Jacob, the host who loves studying reptiles and Egyptian pharaohs. <laughs> Why can't an American speak in this film? He doesn't know English. Yeah, that's the English-speaking actor that's saying <laughs> reptiles. Welcome back to our King Kong retrospective. We took a few weeks off to discuss, I don't know, some space movies. But now we are back in... Japanese Kong land. This is a very different King Kong than the one we saw last. Yeah, remember what he said? Imagine if they used a suit. Oddly enough, King Kong has a history in Japan almost as lengthy as his time in America. It only took the ape six months to start working there. When RKO Pictures was trying to launch the original 1933 Kong, they decided the best thing they could do when they screened the movie in Japan is to have a Japanese short ahead of time that had, yes, Kong in it. It was actually called King Kong Made in Japan. It was kind of a Chaplin-esque and very meta take on the character. It wasn't Kiko the Chaplin-esque take on the character in that Son of Kong film? No, this is a silent black and white movie that would have screened right before the RKO pictures came on. It's got a homeless tramp in love with a woman who's engaged to a rich dude. So already you're thinking Chaplin, right? And this homeless tramp decides the best way that he can win her heart is to mount a stage show of the very popular American film, King Kong. And that means he's got to put on a ape suit every night and stomp on a model of Tokyo, which is, by the way, not how they did the special effects in the RKO movie. And this tramp's King Kong show becomes a big hit. The girl and her betrothed attend one night. The tramp sees him in the audience, gets mad, and it becomes like a play on 
Kong breaking out of Broadway. He chases the guy out in the street, causes a lot of public destruction. The cops are called. And the happy ending, a little weird, is that he knocks the rich guy out, dresses him in the monkey suit, blames him for all of the destruction. And so the wrong guy goes to jail and he gets the girl. Well, that does sound like a Chaplin ending. It does. It does. King Kong Made in Japan is what this short is called, and it is credited as the first kaiju movie. If you remember, kaiju is a word for giant monster, the man in rubber suit. King Kong is the first one ever to be done in Japan, ever. Okay, I was wondering, because this is the third Godzilla film, and I always thought, I'm like, oh, this is real special because they got another known kaiju to fight Godzilla. I always thought they made up things for Godzilla to fight, like Godzilla versus Mothra. No, Mothra was like a thing. Like, kaiju movies are just a thing in Japan. They have all kinds of giant monsters there. So I didn't realize that, but yeah, King Kong, not unique to take a property from something else and have Godzilla fight it. Yeah, for anyone who gives a big sigh when we say we are not doing the full Godzilla of retrospective series, let it be known, Stuart and I sat down and mapped out the entire genealogy of what it would be, <laughs> including, yes, Mothra films. Oh, so we'd have to do Mothra first? Man, I would love to talk about Infant Island. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't be opposed, but it would be a whole year. Like, no other shows at all. Just a year. We have become a Godzilla podcast. And as much as I might like that, that just doesn't seem like something we need to do. And it should be said, King Kong kept working. Five years later, they made another one with Kong going to feudal Japan called King Kong Appears in Edo, which Edo is a reference to pre-modern Japan. And it's basically a replay of the climax of the Empire State Building, only instead it's a bunch of samurai chasing a human-sized Kong because they couldn't afford <laughs> to do the special effects as he runs away with the kidnapped daughter of some feudal lord or something like that. These were just shorts? These aren't full length? Well, that one was even unofficial. RKO Pictures asked them to make the first one, and it was such a hit that they just started making bootlegs. The problem was this company was stationed in Hiroshima. And so you can't go to YouTube and see these shorts. Nobody can. They don't exist anymore. When we dropped the H-bomb on Hiroshima, all of these films were destroyed and ironically would give birth to the actual kaiju that Japan becomes known for. That 10 years beyond the H-bomb, we have Godzilla, the metaphorical representation of the H-bomb. Have you guys ever seen it? Have you ever seen the first Godzilla movie? Because it's very different. Oh, I own it. Yeah. The first Godzilla movie is legit great. Yeah. It turns out I'd never seen it. I thought I had. And I went, decided to watch the original Japanese Godzilla. Yes, please, the Japanese one. Yeah. <laughs> I did not rewatch the American one. And I was surprised at how serious it was. It wasn't a B-film. Yeah, some of the creature effects are a little bit hokey and rubber suity, but man, that is an incredible film. I'd never wanted to do a Godzilla retrospective more than just to discuss that movie. I was astounded at how seriously good it is and how much it holds up. Yeah, he's not cute, he's not fighting other monsters, and he hangs over the city like the cloud over Hiroshima. I mean, there's no way not to see in the Japanese cut. I want to keep insisting that. Yes. Now, now <laughs> Americans probably are more familiar. I know I was more familiar with the fact that the movie got re-edited. A lot of that stuff got reduced and they hired future Perry Mason star Raymond Burr to pretend like he's standing there with the Japanese in some awkwardly inserted scenes. That is Godzilla King of Monsters. 
That's how it got sold in America. But if you find the Japanese language original cut, yeah, you're going to see a very stark, dramatic work that has the Japanese culture dealing with weapons of mass destruction. Not only Godzilla representing nuclear power, but how they're going to fight him becomes a whole issue about the scientist and his oxygen destroyer. And again, it's a game of escalation. You introduce an H-bomb, it's only going to lead to a bigger weapon. It's only going to end to mass destruction. Criterion, they released the original Godzilla. It does have the American cut as a bonus. So you could get both with that disc. And like Kong, Godzilla had a quickie sequel made six months later. After that movie became a hit, they're like, let's rush out Godzilla Raids again, which I don't know if he is the son or the wife. Different Godzilla entirely, just same member of the species. That's what I mean. Like, it's not the same Godzilla from the original movie. Yeah, it blew my mind when I saw Godzilla raids again, because you think Godzilla, like, we all love that monster. No, that monster died definitively in the first film. And they're just like, no, there's another Godzilla walking around. It's like, imagine if you love Freddy Krueger, but he actually died in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Then it was Tommy Krueger in the rest of them, his brother. But we all love that original Freddy Krueger. Well, so like Friday the 13th? Yeah, but no one likes the mom. Like, no one wants the mom <laughs> to come back to be the killer. Like, Godzilla... No, the Godzilla rewatching movies, well, I'm sure they've rebooted it, but yeah, it was just another Godzilla walking around at the same time. Well, King Kong, again, they had Kiku for the second film, and this is, uh, we'll call him Godzilla the second. Like, yeah, there is some other partner relation to the big lizard who's fighting another dinosaur that's historically accurate, and it feels more of like the Godzilla franchise that we know and love and think about, but it's still in black and white, and there's still a, a lot of trauma about people in Osaka trying to, like, manage the monsters and keep them out. And there's continuity between, you know, King Kong versus Godzilla, this is the third one, Godzilla raids again, buried in an iceberg, he's still gonna be in that iceberg when we come to this film, like, shocked me, like, continuity between these films. But when that ice gets dumped on him, Godzilla is off the screen for seven, almost eight years. There was no plans to keep churning them out and making more, there were more kaiju movies, they were making Rodan, they were making Mothra, they were doing big monster movies, but the thought wasn't that we're going to just keep doing Godzilla. Three things happened to change Tojo Studios' mind. One, they had a rival studio, Toei Studio, have a very big hit in 1959 with a movie called Monster Gorilla, which is about exactly what you would guess, a giant horned monkey fighting a robotic giant horned monkey, and it proved that audiences liked King Kong. They still remember that 1933 movie, and it would be a good thing to bring King Kong into the kaiju family. Two, the special effects artist Willis O'Brien, who worked on the 1933 Kong, was pushing to make a sequel. He had a script. It was King Kong versus Frankenstein's monster. And not the Mary Shelley one, because that wouldn't be much of a fight. No, I'm like, King Kong steps on him. <laughs> yeah, you need to make him way bigger. <laughs> no, the idea was it was the great-great-grandson of the guy that made the guy with the bolts in his neck is now taking rhinos and elephants and all kinds of animals and made this giant monster. Sounds amazing. And so Willis O'Brien had all these ideas about how to make that work stop motion, was trying to raise money for it in America, and his producer was shopping it around. Toho Studios heard about this and thought, hmm, sounds like a good movie. Three... RKO Pictures goes bankrupt, and that means Kong is kind of 
up for grabs. They owned the character, even though Marion Cooper, the original director, created him. And so the Japanese kind of did an underhanded thing. Rather than work with Willis O'Brien, they said, we're going to take your King Kong versus Frankenstein's monster script, and we're going to just remake it with our guy, Godzilla. We're going to bring him out. And so they went and bought the rights from the lawyers that were left from RKO and cut Willis O'Brien out. He was very mad, died a few months after that, feeling completely dejected and angry. And they hired their own screenwriter to say, let's make this about the big lizard versus the big ape. And so they make Kong bigger, obviously, because, you know, in the previous movies, he's 18, 20, maybe 40 feet tall, but now he's got to be 150 feet tall. They're going to move him from Skull Island to a new island, and they're going to give this a color makeover. This is the first time that either Kong or Godzilla would be appearing on screen in bright, vivid 60s colors. How did Universal get involved? Because there's two cuts of this. I watched the Japanese one and then asked you guys, hey, there's this American cut. Is it that different? You're like, yeah, you better watch that too. So I put that one on and it has the Universal International logo at the beginning. How did they get involved then? Yes. Well, there always is two cuts. Like Godzilla, like we said, Raven Burr is in the one that America saw, but the real good dramatic version is the one that was in Japan that only recently, thanks to the power of Criterion Collection, are we able to see. That was also true of Godzilla Raids Again. It was brought to America and dubbed and reduced. And so the thought is always we can make money by making an American version that is changed from its original conception. But I would say that this is a Toho movie. This is a Japanese film taking the King Kong character and bringing him into the Japanese monster world. And then Universal Studios hired some sitcom writers, people that wrote for Gilligan's Island, and said, write some different dialogue, we'll cut out some of the character stuff that might be too hard to translate, and we'll make it about seven minutes shorter. So there are some significant differences about plot, and certainly the length is uh, shorter in the American version. Now, I have seen this movie before. I have a very vivid memory. Again, I mentioned I grew up watching King Kong, the 70s version, watched it a lot. When I was about six, maybe seven years old, my parents would go to Chicago a lot and take me with them, and they'd go for multiple reasons. Mostly they'd go because my father wanted to see some opera. And I remember going, and my sister and I went along with my parents because we were too young to stay alone, and my sister was going to do something with me while my parents went to the opera. We're in the hotel room, my parents are getting ready for the opera, and I see this ad, King Kong vs. Godzilla, on TV tonight. Oh no, I am not leaving that hotel room. I throw a tantrum. I will not do anything. I can't believe you would choose that over opera. Well, that was never an option because the tickets were too expensive. But whatever my sister wanted to do was not going to happen. No going to the ball. Yeah. No, I was watching King Kong versus Godzilla. Damn it. And I remember my parents even like called the hotel like, do you offer babysitters? And they did, but it was an exorbitant (laughs) price. And so finally, they just look at my sister and are like, you watch him. You watch Godzilla. And so. My parents went off to see Mozart. I stayed in the hotel room. So excited to see these two monsters. I don't know that I'd ever seen a Godzilla film. Having rewatched the original, I know I didn't see that. Maybe I saw some of the later ones, or maybe I was just familiar with them as a 
icon, and I know I'd seen King Kong films, I wanted to see these two match up. Yeah, you're right. They actually did push this movie heavily after Dino De Laurentiis made King Kong again in the 70s. We'll talk about it. That will be in two movies from now in the series that we'll talk about with Jeff Bridges, Jessica Lange. That film created interest for this property. And I, too, just like you, saw it on television, being very excited, remembering something that ended up not being true. I was sure that I had heard there was two endings to this movie and that the Japanese cut had Godzilla winning and that King Kong won the American version. And I was sure I had seen Godzilla win. I had in my mind (laughs) a very distinct picture of Godzilla doing his little victory dance atop the ape, like really just like stomping on his corpse. That doesn't happen in any cut. Yeah, I think you have to wait till like Invasion of Astro Monster when Godzilla becomes an anti-hero good guy. The first few films, he's the bad guy. He's got to be defeated. Right. Yes. I forgot that. He was not considered Japan's champion and hero. He was always the thing to be stopped. And Kong in this movie really is the Rocky, if you will, to stop Apollo Creed. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a bit of an underdog, an anti-hero, if you will, a sympathetic monster villain. Phantom of the Opera type. My memories of this movie, I remembered King Kong being airlifted to Godzilla. Okay. And I remembered a, what seemed to six or seven year old Arnie, an eternal wait before we actually got those monsters together, during which I was bored out of my mind. I actually might have preferred the opera. I mean, it is kind of a long wait. (laughs) Yes. If you were bored, imagine what the sister was doing. She was on the phone with her boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a big movie for me, and I do think this is the film that really will set the pace for all the Godzilla movies that come after. Like, they really will latch onto the spirit of this and the structure of this. And so, yeah, if we were doing the Godzilla retrospective, I feel like this is just as important in his career as it is for Kong. But Arnie, why don't we tell him what the plot is in both the American and Japanese version, if you could do it, and we'll get into both cuts of the film. Global warming is causing polar ice to melt at an alarming rate. And we're watching a movie, but it's actually happening in this movie. It was very ahead of its time. Sure. A U.S. sub is dispatched to investigate... And that's when Godzilla is unleashed from his prison of ice. He starts to head for home, Japan, to cause more wreckage. Meanwhile, Pacific Pharmaceuticals has discovered a new berry that has non-addictive narcotic qualities. (laughs) In the 60s, that was good. Yeah, yeah, that was really... You don't even need a prescription, just pop a berry. But it only grows on one small island, and the natives there won't allow many to be harvested as they use it to quell the island's monster god. Pacific Pharmaceuticals head Mr. Taco needs the berries, and if such a beast exists, it would be great publicity for the company, like the Jolly Green Giant of Narcotics. This is why the Japanese version is so much better. This all gets cut out. It's great. (laughs) So he sends employees Sakurai and Kinzaburo to investigate. On the island, they discover King Kong. When the giant ape drinks the berry juice and passes out, the two men strap him to a raft and take him back to Japan. Both Godzilla and Kong reach Japan near the same time and go to battle each other, but Godzilla's atomic breath gives him a quick victory and Kong retreats. Separate, Kong and Godzilla terrorize Japan, and when Kong gets to Tokyo, he runs into some power lines, which make him stronger? Japan's army used the berry juice again to Rufy Kong, and using super strong thread, they airlift him to fight Godzilla. 
This electric-powered Kong puts up a better fight, but Godzilla still wins the day and is about to kill Kong when Kong is struck by a bolt of lightning, re-energizing him literally. The two fight again and fall into the ocean, and only Kong comes out of the water victorious. Kong swims towards his island home, and the Japanese are left wondering if Godzilla is still alive, as credits roll. And as credits start, how can you know which version you're watching? It's real easy. Are you in space at the UN? (laughs) Yeah, if you see a guy named Eric Carter from the UN broadcasting about disasters, turn the film off. This is not (laughs) the cut you want to watch. It's from a space station. Did they think we're going to be in a space station for the UN? I think that's just the satellite that's linking them up. That's a huge-ass satellite. (laughs) That's how I took it, is he was in a New York... York news studio and using a satellite to talk to somebody in Buenos Aires who also is apparently in the same room because he's talking across the room to the guy. Yeah, to be specific, it's the United Nations. So it's not necessarily America, but because the building where the UN meets is in New York City, it does end up equivalent that we have this, basically an American narrator who is going to just blue ball us again and again, (laughs) cut into the action. Every time you're getting into a scene, it will be stopped. Yeah, you want exposition just told to you over and over and over? Watch the Eric Carter cut. Again, I'm not saying I don't enjoy the American version. I did watch it first before I watched the Japanese cut. And the flow is so much more interrupted when you have to insert Americans. It was true of Raymond Burr in the first Godzilla. It's equally true here. And I watched the Japanese cut first. And when I went back and watched the American one, I don't know. You've seen this before, Stuart. So maybe you already knew. But I loved all the stuff with Pacific Pharmaceuticals. It's kind of absurd, but it's also kind of a throwback to the original King Kong. Instead of a director, you got like the head of advertising for a pharmaceutical company and they have like their educational show, but it's super boring. So it's like, hey, how about we get a monster for our educational show and that will we'll be able to sell lots of ads for it. All of that gets cut out of the English version. And yeah, I missed it. I liked all that. It, it just feels satirical and funny. And that goes all away if you watch the American cut. Not counting my barely remembered 1980 watching on a hotel 12-inch television. I watched the Japanese cut first here and then the American cut, and I did like the Japanese opening where they are spouting exposition about global warming and glaciers melting and all of that, and it's a dull scene, as is the news scene with Eric Carter, but in the Japanese version, they do turn it around. We get this Mr. Taco, head of Pacific Pharmaceuticals, going, our show is boring! No one wants to watch it! It becomes ironic that they use that method of story exposition, then cutting to somebody who's saying, we need better programming, whereas in the U.S. version, it's just straight up, we're supposed to be very interested in these additional scenes that were filmed on a single set. Yeah, they cut straight to the sub where the Americans are. It's going to take us a while to get there in the Japanese cut. Yes, but if you want comedy and lightheartedness, you're going to get a lot more laughs in the Japanese version. I mean, I even now I laugh at like, do your research, science is boring. I mean, like, there's just something about Taco. He's got a nice rhythm and his storyline, frankly, is not like anybody else's in it. Like, you want more of him because he He's the comic relief character, and he's greatly reduced in the U.S. version. Yeah, the characters I care about, I think I showed my hand when I read the cast list. King Kong and Godzilla, 
And in the American version, there's no other characters to care about. We don't get enough with Pacific Pharmaceuticals to even know why we're spending so much time with them. That's what I'm saying. If you watch the American cut, do you understand why they're going to get King Kong? Except they're like, hey, let's get our own monster. As silly as the reason is in the Japanese cut, there's no reason given in the American one. It's just like, hey, let's go do this thing. Yeah. Unlike the original King Kong and the original Godzilla, both of which played it straight, King Kong vs. Godzilla, the Japanese version, is not playing it straight. It's playing it very funny. It knows what kind of movie it is. It's going back to the old universal vampire vs. wolfman type of film. And so we get this Mr. Taco with his crazy mustache, which is great because it helps me immediately identify him in any scene as there's very few characters with facial hair. And he's always funny. And if you're going to make me wait 45 minutes for our brawl between the two monsters first round, I need to care about people. I need to enjoy watching the people. The Japanese version actually pulled that off against all odds. I went in thinking I wouldn't enjoy it at all from my memory. The Japanese version I did, the US version I didn't find the same enjoyment of, and it is cut faster. Yeah, it's shorter and it's cut faster and it believes that you want Anglo faces explaining plot details and underlining things that frankly they're just cutting out because they're reducing these taco scenes. But what we understand when we see the superior Japanese cut is that, yes, they have something called the Miracle Series, a science show that, however factual it might be, only 5% of the TV audience is watching, and so they need to increase their ratings. Today, that's a huge hit. If NBC <laughs> could get a 5% share, they'd be getting promoted. Good point, good point. It's a little weird to think about a pharmaceutical company also having its finger in television, but in Japan, that's actually common. If you remember Lost in Translation, like the company that Bill Murray is working for is both a movie studio and making beer and like that kind of conglomeration with you know multiple arms and multiple aims of what they're trying to accomplish i think that is something that is less weird when you look at japanese companies so they are both a tv network and trying to come up with a pill that makes everyone happy they already have one on the market it is called passion p-a-s-h-i-n and they're filming a commercial for it with the cameraman having to sub as a guy in a spangly suit banging on a drum set. So what's the problem with passion? Why do they need the berry if they already have the drug? I suspect it doesn't work. Again, the fact that the guy's banging <laughs> on the drums, soon as the camera pans away to the box, he's like pulling off his hat and fanning himself. He looks like he wants to fall over. They're selling us a lie. And that's a wonderful, again, with the satirical note of this movie. Of the Japanese cut of this movie. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Yeah, we see that they're desperate to have legitimacy. And the best way to do that is if they actually had of medicine that did what it claimed to do and these berries that only grow on one island are the answer that they need what's really funny is taco is even more excited when he hears that the tribesmen won't give up the berries because they use it to feed their angry god spirit that is there and so he's <laughs> like great we can improve our ratings by going after this legend as well and i guess i'm thinking about this far too modern but i'm like well, you got the berries. Berries themselves are just a type of seed, right? Can't you just 
plant them and grow your own? Do you have to harvest the one island? You gotta have the right climate, the right kind of soil. It all depends on the berry. Yeah, but even if they could, and I agree with you, they probably could. The charm is that Taco actually wants the monster, or maybe even more than the berry. And what gets completely lost in the American version is that there is a rival TV network. Taco runs TTV, but there is QTV. And QTV is the one that's following the submarine that's going to end up finding Godzilla. So the rival is essentially hitching their star to the other monster. They need a monster to compete. So in King Kong battling Godzilla, it's also about Taco's network fighting for ratings with QTV. And that's what I love about the Japanese cut is that you get all the satirical stuff. It feels like a reimagining of the original King Kong where, hey, we're going to bring him over and put him in New York and charge tickets and we're going to get rich. Like, these are giant monsters and they're just worried about ratings. I love it. And I want to point out, in case you haven't seen a lot of the classic first 15 Godzilla movies, they're all structured this way. It will take a very long time for you to ever see the monster. When you see the monster, it will take an even longer time for him to do something cool. They make you wait. It is a part of it. And yes, as a kid, it was always anxiety driven to be like, when's he going to be? I would leave the room, you know, like that was the things you wouldn't watch it. You would just like be in the other room playing, waiting to hear that mechanical roar. And when you heard, you're like, all right, I can come back and enjoy the show. And they'd get weird. And that's the thing that I didn't understand Given that this is the third Godzilla movie, I didn't watch the second one, but watching the first one and watching this one, I mean, it would be interesting. At what point do the twin fairies come into it? Mothra, Infant (laughs) Island. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole thing. That's the next film, I believe. And, you know, they bring in other elements, but even when we watched Godzilla Final Wars together, Stuart, preparing for the recent remake of Godzilla... It took way too long to get to the monsters, and the humans just didn't have enough to make me care about them. I think that's a problem Legendary Films is having, too. So here, the fact that they've just gone so nuts and have this pharmaceutical company, but the fact that there's two monsters and we're getting both of their kind of origin also helps. I mean, the science guy talked about the global warming. We do have this submarine going to investigate the melting and they're going to witness the re-release of Godzilla. And again, I think we're to understand that this is being broadcast on a rival network, that some of these people in the sub are journalists, maybe? I don't know. So there are Americans and there are Japanese inside the sub, and I think they just crash. I think they just don't know how to pilot their <laughs> sub. And because the iceberg that they're approaching is glowing, maybe they get a little mesmerized, moth to flame, but they crash into this iceberg, and that is what really really gets the whole thing tumbling down and freeing Godzilla, maybe from where he was last dumped from Godzilla raids again with the avalanche, or maybe not really. They're concerned with continuity. I was confused in both cuts why that submarine just ran into the iceberg, but I do love that shot. You get like, I guess it's the ceiling or something of the submarine and like catches on fire and you just hear the roar and then you're going to cut to another scene. Like just that little tease of Godzilla. 
Godzilla coming back. And I don't think in the American version you understand that Godzilla sets the sub on fire. You can barely hear the roar. It's a different, yeah, audio mix or something. I couldn't even tell it was really Godzilla there. Yeah, I think because they were trying to overlay English language voices, you lose the Godzilla roar, and thus you might just think that the sub, you know, it was taking on water, it was on fire. They were having multiple problems in that sub, and you only know that Godzilla is involved at all because there's a rescue chopper coming for them, and they see the lizard's head poking out. Cute shot. Yeah, it was a good one. The thing I like is we're also going to have kind of a replay of the first Kong movie because we've got the two pharmaceutical businessmen who have to go with a horrible, horrible guy in brown face. Was he in brown face? I couldn't tell if he was just supposed to be like really beaten by the sun and tan from sailing ships or if they, yeah, if he was supposed to be a different race. You know, it's not Skull Island. It should be reminded that it wasn't called Skull Island even in the 1933 movie, but they know that they're changing things by not having it be the exact same place where Kong was from in the original Hollywood film, but they wanted to capture some of that, so they have a big tribal dance, and yes, they only have Japanese actors, and so they feel the need in order to be authentically native, they do have to use the shoe polish. So we do have Japanese people putting on skin darkening makeup to play tribes tribes who are very very taken by transistor radios and cigarettes i want to know where they're picking up the broadcast from but giving the kids we don't have any candy we're gonna give them cigarettes i stood up and applauded that is so outrageous it's amazing yes i did too Stuart. i'm like yes this is amazing That is so outrageous. No one would make that joke now. It's too offensive. And here this movie is. And and I love they're like, don't let your mom find out. She's right behind the kid, takes one of the cigarettes and just like lights up too. (laughs) Yeah. You've come a long way, baby. Or, Or we have, because I couldn't believe they could tell that joke. I think it's a funny joke nonetheless. Oh, yeah. And the way they're just plying these tribes people with gifts that the tribes people are like, fine, you can stay. Don't blame us if you die. Yeah, it's the whole thing feels very much in keeping with remaking Kong. If you didn't see the 1933 movie, this is the story, but doing it really fast, really campy, and with a level of humor that the original did not have, for better or for worse. Yeah, watching these two schmucks from Big Pharma stumble their way through the jungle in pith helmets. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's enjoyable. Why do I just think it makes sense that the pharmaceutical company would be handing out cigarettes? In fact, it sounded to me in the American version during the news, it's like, there's a breakthrough in chemotherapy. We found a new narcotic. And I'm like... Is that to make the chemotherapy more palpable or why? But I could see the same pharmaceutical company giving you the cancer sticks and then giving you the drugs to go with the cancer meds. Yeah, I mean, at this time, you would have commercials on TV of doctors telling you which brand of cigarettes to smoke. So it's not that far off. So even though I'm laughing, I hear that we all are, and that feels good. I want to say that one of the things I always liked about Godzilla movies, besides the lightheartedness, was that the monsters were usually pretty scary. Like, I usually got excited when I saw Ghidra, the three-headed dragon. 
The first monster here, very convincing because it is a real octopus that they just film <laughs> in large. It's totally gross. It is so gross, yeah. This is exactly what you want a Godzilla movie to do when we have these two guys. They run off. They hear thunder and lightning. They're trying to capture the big legendary monster. Can't find him. One guy ends up having too many corns on his feet, gets laid up. We need to get you some berry juice. And when the little kid goes to get him a drink... He gets bit by like a rubber lizard or something. <laughs> it's really bad looking. Were the corns in both versions? I thought the corns were just the American. It is just the Gilligan's Islands writers trying to be funny in the American version. I do believe that the Japanese version is funnier too. But even when the Americans are trying to be funny, they're not as good. Well, they're Gilligan's Island writers. I mean, it can't be that funny. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because I didn't know they were the writers of Gilligan's Island. But while watching the Japanese one, I did tell Marjorie that the tribes people look like Gilligan's Island level cannibal tribes people <laughs> that Gilligan would sometimes run into. If you recall, every so often there'd be some strange voodoo tribe on their island. Yeah, and Universal agrees with you. That's why they hired the writers they did. They said, we know how to make this and we got the writers for it. Well, we see that the tribe, they have all these vats of berry juice that they're trying to offer, I think, to Kong. I don't... Does Kong come? I, it's not an addictive narcotic, so I don't know. He's not getting high off of it. Maybe he just has trouble sleeping, and so they <laughs> offer him the berry juice. My take on it was... In order to live side by side with him, they need to keep him medicated. And so if he doesn't get his cup of morning Joe, or in this case, Soma berries, I think Soma is a reference to Brave New World, the response would be that they would be murdered like the tribesmen are in the 1933 Kong movie. So they've made a pact to keep him drugged up and they spend all of this energy doing these dances to lure him to their vat of red juice and then he will drink it. The fact that the squid is here just means that they have a problem with big monsters. Like this island, you just need to move. There's just too many goddamn big <laughs> monsters. I was surprised that they went with this monster island concept. You know, the lost world type thing we saw in King Kong. I thought Kong versus Godzilla, we would have exactly two monsters in it. When the giant octopus shows up, and yes, it is a real octopus, which looked cool in a science film kind of way, but it did not do well. I mean, I'm going to rail on the effects of this movie beginning to end, and the superimposition of the octopus is step one. It's a 1962B movie. Do you need to rail on it? Yeah, and why do you want it to be good? Why would you want good effects? I think that the stop motion Kong stuff was better than this. And that was 30 years earlier. That's just not Godzilla, though. Like, this is a Japanese production as far as I'm concerned. And so we got to adapt. We're going to have King Kong in a suit. We're going to have live octopus. Just no more stop motion. I get what you're saying. I'm just wanting to call out lest we oversell the coolness of the octopus. No, the octopus is cool. Now, I will grant you when Kong shows up. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we know where the money didn't go. That suit, man. That suit. <laughs> Godzilla wore it better. That's all I can say. He gets a new suit. Godzilla, they've designed a new suit for him. They wanted him to be less scary. You know, in the first two Godzilla movies, he really is menacing. I mean, he will make your kids cry. Here, he's got that twinkle in his eye he's more <laughs> green and, and he's just more sesame street in a way and so i feel like godzilla pretty much looks like you remember him kong 
I ain't never seen an ape with a shave my head like that. And that's the whole suit. It's just a nightmare. Well, it's just the posture of the person wearing it. It must have just messed with how they had to move around. The arms look too long or something. The shoulders are out of place. Yeah, it's a mess. It is bad. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to roll with the person in the suit. It's the miniature work of the stuff they interact with that I don't necessarily roll with. But I do like some of the facial expressions when after the octopus kong does drink the berry juice and then pass out there's something funny about that they do some stop motion work with kong close-ups of the face i noticed were not the man in the suit they would still stop motion it correct yeah they did have puppeteers in certain shots yeah they always have little puppets that they bash against each other in godzilla films so there's going to be a little bit of that yeah but i'm saying actual stop motion facial expression stuff not Mm -hmm. just later on where they take the toys and bang them together together, uh, which I'll get to. Literally, they do that, yes. <laughs> and again, I think you and I will just never agree with that this aesthetic can be exactly what you want. I would not want them to make this look fantastic. The charm is that it looks like this. So you're really not looking forward to the movie we're building up to this entire retrospective to. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, we are building up to that movie that Arnie wants, and we'll see how Stuart takes it. I'm not puritanical about how it should be. What I'm saying is they have chosen to tell it in kaiju man in rubber suit fashion. I wouldn't want it to look more than what it's doing. The visual style of this movie, to me, is wonderful. I agree. As silly as Kong looks, I dig the vibe of this film. Again, if you like the work of Michelle Gondry or early Tim Burton or Ray Harryhausen, this is in that realm. Like It is charmingly archaic and clumsy in a way that feels warm and nostalgic. And it does change how you would feel about Godzilla. He is no longer the scary apparition of atomic fear. He is now a children's character. He is Big Bird. I'd like to think that Ray Harryhausen would look at this ape suit and laugh. Well, yeah, again, not all details, but again, even in the parts where they didn't have the money and couldn't pull it off, I'll also just admit, I'm not a King Kong fan. I'm rooting for Godzilla during all of this. Yeah. Knowing that they're getting together, I want that lizard to melt this cheap-ass rubber (laughs) ape suit to nothing. He's going to set those chest hairs on fire later. Yeah, he will burn his hair off and what little hair they could put on the suit. But yeah, I... (laughs) I have always been and will always be in Camp Godzilla. And so the fact that Kong might be underwhelming probably hurts fans of the 1933 movie. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, and I'm Team Kong all the way. Oh, you are. You want Kong to win. You're rooting for him. Yes. He really likes that 70s film. You were that way even when you were the 10-year-old watching the 12-inch TV. Oh, hell yes. Okay, never. I was never in a Kong. Hey, I think I saw that... 70s Kong as soon as it hit TV. I mean, I was early on and I'd never seen a Godzilla film by that point. So, yes, always Team Kong. Okay. Now, we are talking about the monsters. That's what you should do in one of these movies. But there are these human characters. We've talked about the ones that amuse us. But there is that other storyline. There are two siblings. Sakurai, the one of the people that has come from Big Pharma to this Faroe Island, has a sister. And she was established early on as being in love with this dopey guy who works for a company inventing super strong string. (laughs) And they have a really awkward dinner conversation where Sakurai comes over and you can just see his disdain for the fact that his sister won't leave the side of this nerd. Hey, 
the boyfriend always gets the bigger stake than the brother. It's the way it should be. Yeah, is that a little weird that the brother's, like, jealous? Like, he's got the bigger stake. I mean, they're measuring dicks, right? <laughs> I, you know, you could take it there, sure. It might mean that. Or it may just mean that he's hungry. I mean, I never know. But the point is, we establish this romance, this rivalry. And as Sakurai is having his King Kong problems... They're going to use his sister, Fumiko, to have some Godzilla problems. Because Godzilla, in being freed from the iceberg, has now marched home. In the American cut, they will make explicit that fossils of dinosaurs of him. He's apparently part T-Rex, part Stegosaurus. I never put that together. Yeah, how did those two mate? I don't know, but fossils of those were found in Japan, and thus it means that Godzilla is just coming home. That is why he is so bent on finding Tokyo and not another country, as he wants to get back to his roots. And in doing so, he is going to go after Fumiko on a train. Because she thought that her boyfriend was killed, well, in the Japanese cut on a boat or in the American cut on a crashed airplane. And she's rushing off to Hokkaido Island to save him. Yeah, all this human stuff. Okay, whatever. I watched it, but it's not the stuff I'm concerned with. Like, show me Godzilla rampaging. Show me those toy tanks rolling out and shooting off firecrackers at him so he could step on them. If it's funny, I like it. If it's monsters, I'm having fun with it. This storyline in the Japanese cut, fortunately, it doesn't get a whole lot of play. It's definitely the C-list story, but yeah, I really didn't care about her plight of the presumably dead boyfriend who isn't. Ultimately, she's supposed to be like Feyrey. She's going to get lifted up by Kong, and he's going to stand on top of the shortest building he can. You mean the tallest building in Japan? I doubt that. But <laughs> Yeah, he did, it doesn't look very tall. He just kind of like steps up on it. Yeah, they build up there. They don't have a whole lot of room, so I think there's plenty of tall buildings to go from. Yeah, they're going to smash a big temple at the end that's taller than that building. Yeah, she's based in Tokyo, but she's heading off to Hokkaido, which is an island off the coast and yeah if anyone has ever had a train set you're just going to love the fact that Godzilla is going to march in there and do what Godzilla's do and derail the train Oh, yes, I did have a model train set, and I'm like, I think that is uh, the P4 scale train set. I love that Godzilla is so large. Like, you know, you watch an animal, like, there's an obstacle, they walk around it. Godzilla, he just walks through it. Like, there's power lines, he's just gonna walk through them. It seems like a very uncomfortable way to get around, just stepping on trains and that, but that's what I love about Godzilla. Just, he's gonna take that path and go for it. Unfortunately, it just seems like there's a sexist notion that if there's a female here, she has to be weak. She can't have the kind of spark and personality that her brother is going to have. And we're just not going to laugh about Fumiko. So other than the fact that she's splashing around in the water for no reason when her boyfriend finally arrives and, and hides her. Yeah, it's hard to know why King Kong has the attraction he does for her. She's kind of lame. And we're much more engaged. Even though I'm not a King Kong guy, I'm much more into the fact that Taco is, you know, being airlifted down onto the boat to examine his Kong. And there's a whole debate about how they're going to bring him into Tokyo Harbor on this giant raft. I'm sorry, I, I'm laughing as Taco is like accidentally leaning on the ignition handle to set off the dynamite that's connected to King Kong in case he wakes up like it's silly humor but i'm going with it all i'm not laughing too hard it's reminding me of a three stooges type of gag but but i mean there's other stuff like he's being told like what they're getting busted by customs because they didn't declare king kong and he's going to be held responsible for any damage
damage. Like, they're sponsoring Kong like he's an immigrant family coming into the country. There's something funny about that. Yeah, he signed contracts. He has TV commitments, damn it. And it's true, he doesn't have a passport. I mean, like, this is a real problem (laughs) for them. How are they going to get him into the country? I died when he looked at the Navy guy and was like, what about Kong's rights? But that is only in the Japanese version. Yeah, I mean, some of this is in the American cut. Again, but the idea is always to reduce and to clean up and to take out the personality. And I think, yeah, that's why the American version, it it still has this humor. There's still the fight over the dynamite plunger and it still goes off and Kong still goes underwater and comes up screaming and... Yeah, you realize that Taco is the only one smiling because he realizes the guy he's backing is tough, that he will be an admirable foe of Godzilla once they meet on land. And in the American version, we have some science paleontologist guy talking about the reptiles yeah the reptiles have always fought the apes and that this is just a a natural thing that they would seek each other out and fight there's no other reason for the conflict other than it's just in their genetics so round one how does it go well i can see why i remembered godzilla stomping his ass he really does get one over this ape they just kind of stand around and then yeah blows his radiation breath on him i cannot believe how short round one is i mean (laughs) clubber Lang took longer to beat up Rocky in Rocky 3 than this. This is really just, yeah, one thing of atomic breath. King Kong looks down like, shit, I'm on fire, and runs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's losing hair, all of it. And again, the dance, the Godzilla dance. Like yes. The hands can barely move away from the body, and so he's just kind of flailing and flapping around, and I love it. Oh, what I love is Godzilla's come-at-me-bro move. He's got this thing where he claps his hands together. Oh, yeah. And I just, I, all I, every time he does it, what I hear in my head is, come at me, bro. <laughs> One of my favorite Godzilla things, like I've seen it in multiple Godzilla films, he loves throwing and kicking rocks at his opponents. And I don't know what it is, maybe because that suit is so stiff and just imagining this giant lizard picking up rocks or kicking them at some other monster's head. Love it. Yeah, although that's Kong's move mostly in this fight. And it's this beautiful pastoral, like, foresty hill here. And, like, my love of dioramas, I realize now the reason why I like <laughs> miniatures and all of that has a lot to do with these movies. Like, the promise of their beauty, as well as the promise that someone's going to come in and just tear the shit out of them. It's endlessly satisfying, really. I never get tired of it. And I would love to sit with a special effects guy and tell me why is it I look at the miniatures here and say that looks like a little train set, but I can see miniature work in different films and it sells it. Is it the level of detail? Yeah, it's the way the speed when it's a miniature, even if the speed is just different. So you got to adjust the speed of the film to make it look real. A grain of sand on a miniature is now too big. So you got to do a lot of things to make those miniatures scale and and look right. And no, here they're just using toys. And yeah, and you always want to be careful about using water too, because water will expose the model quality very quickly. Yeah, anytime the tanks or the buildings or anything here, I just, I never bought it. And I couldn't tell if it was camera angle stuff, detail stuff. I don't buy it, Arnie, but I love it. I love it when I see, oh, here's some toy tanks. Like, I know they're toy tanks, and that that is the charm of a Godzilla film. I smile at it. But one of the big differences I noticed, unless I missed it in the Japanese cut, the Japanese cut, they're going to deal with Godzilla by trying to shoot him with a million volts of electricity. 
And in the American cut, there's talk about, oh, we might have to drop an atomic bomb on them. That might be in the Japanese cut. I might have missed those lines. It was. Okay. It seems much more prominent in the American cut that they just want to deal with this thing by dropping a bomb on it. Okay. So, see, this is the leftover from Willis O'Brien's script. If we were dealing with Frankenstein's monster, then, of course, if the monster gets hit by electricity, that's going to empower him. Because... If you remember Mary Shelley's novel, that's what brought Frankenstein's monster to life, a lightning bolt. And so that's going to make sense if that's what Godzilla is fighting. Apes? I mean, what happens when an ape is struck by lightning? The same thing as a toad. I mean, it's just not going to do well. Like, So it's really ridiculous that they've written it that King Kong is empowered by biting into electrical cables that they've basically wrapped Tokyo around hoping to keep the monsters out. Yeah, I, it was a head scratcher, but you need to give him something. I mean, I guess I would have preferred the pharmaceutical company to give him some roids or something. <laughs> it is ridiculous, but when we get to it, that final fight and he becomes electrified, I'm cheering. I'm on my feet. Love it. It's so dumb. I love it. Yeah, and Godzilla is the one powered by nuclear energy. I mean, if anything, he should be the one to be able to walk through the electricity. And you're right, Jacob. In some movies, he can. But here, they just happen to write it that he is not going to enter Tokyo because they've erected this electric fence. So he's kind of walking around and end up by Mount Fuji after briefly falling into some pit full of bombs that didn't kill him. When they talk about dropping the A-bomb on Godzilla, I'm like... Did you not watch the first film? Because they make it very clear that he is not able to be harmed by nukes. And this is where we really get into the direct remake of 1933, King Kong, Fei Rei. Fumiko is in Tokyo after having her Hokkaido incident. She's gone back and she's reluctant to, I mean, I can't blame her. Why keep evacuating if everywhere I go, one of these damn monsters is? I might as well just stay here in my home. But they push her onto a train, and then Kong comes in, and in some really bad scaling, he's holding a train set in one hand and a Barbie doll in the other. Like, she's literally as big as the train. (laughs) Again, loving all of these choices, as bad as they are. And what are we going to do now that Kong has climbed up on top of a, I don't know, 30-story building? It's like a platform, yeah. It is so unimpressive. Yeah. What I love is the fact that, of course, the military wants to blast him but sakurai is like no get me my drum set (laughs) ringo to the rescue do the drums put him to sleep along with the bear like here they take those berries and they put them in powder form and shoot bombs at them and they blow up but do you also need those drums to put him to sleep is it not just the berries it's very counterintuitive because if i think of a lullaby It doesn't involve giant bongos banging as loud as possible. Like, that is how you stay awake. But yes, I think in retrospect, what we are to understand is that the tribes people were offering a song and a sedative to try and keep their god appeased and docile and medicated. And so, yeah, they basically, Taco has the brilliant idea, let's put the berry juice in the rockets, explode them over the monkey's head, he'll get all into his eyes and his breathing, and he'll fall off the building and we can pull the woman out of his palm. And I thought that was a terrible idea, thinking the woman would be broken, crushed. Yeah. Suffer a terrible fall. No, she's a Barbie. She's made of plastic. Yes. <laughs> Fortunately for her, she's being played by a Barbie doll in that scene. <laughs> 
And so now, yes, the surrealistic brilliance of we can now use your boyfriend's super strong string to attach them to yellow balloons and float him, airlift him Operation Kong to his final match with Godzilla. What an image. So much less cool than I remembered it when I said I remembered Kong being airlifted. I remembered helicopters and a net. It's amazing. You're saying this is less cool? Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, it, it really, like, they're just embracing the puppet quality. He looks like a marionette at this point. The way that he's coming in, they're just going w- with it. It's so bizarre looking and beautiful and great publicity. Taco is right to be excited. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be popping pills at this point? Maybe some acid if I want to go along with this. The fight, yes, this is the big tete-a-tete between the two. And usually it's two guys in rubber suits doing the best they can to move. And you can see the folds in the Godzilla suit around the arms. But every so often... They go to a toy store and grab a toy gorilla and a Godzilla toy and just, you can't see the hands, but they're literally just like hitting two against each other. When Godzilla rocks back on his tail to do some kind of double kick in Kong's chest. It's amazing. I love that. I had to rewind. I'm like, Marjorie, look at this. They're bashing toys together. I remember when I did this with some Star Wars stuff. Yeah, no, I remember watching Godzilla raids again and there's a scene because there's another monster in that one and they're they're seeing where they are like it's from the shoulders up and they are just bashing toys <laughs> against each other and filming it it's great yeah and you know we in the american cut we have that self-appointed expert the paleontologist who's like kong is the smarter one he has the brain he can outthink it so like kong like he's smart enough to like hide in a nook that really made me upset they're like godzilla just his brain's the size of a peanut i'm like that's insulting this is king of the monsters get show him a bit of respect You do need to give a reason why Kong would be winning this fight. Taco is backing him, but I think everyone else is like, nope, Godzilla is bigger, stronger, breathes fire. There's no way to defeat him. Radioactive fire. Yeah, radioactive. Kong has the element of surprise. He knows he needs to hide in this nook. And when Godzilla passes, grab him by the tail. But he's still not strong enough. Like, he still gets ends up getting flicked and thrown down the mountain and outmatched and burned and singed. Yeah. He's got to ride that lightning. I love it when the two pharmaceutical guys are up in the chopper watching and one yells to Kong, grab his tail. Like A, Kong speaks English. B, Kong can hear you. (laughs) And C, Kong had already tried that and somehow Godzilla humped him away. Oh, but you want to see that, right? Not to mention they want both of them to die. It's not like there's really one to be the victor. The idea, their only plan at this point is if not Atom Bomb, then they must both kill each other in this grudge match. You could probably nuke King Kong to death, but Godzilla was born of the Atom. Well, you could just put him back to sleep and send him home. Yeah, that too. They've successfully roofied Kong twice. I prefer Godzilla's method of just like burying him like my dog does her poop. Like he like gets him down <laughs> in the rocks and then it's just like flicking more rocks atop him to just cover him up. But hey, nothing like a little Dasex Machina to finish off the movie. A storm's coming. King Kong is just going to be struck by lightning, which is going to supercharge him. I now understand why Crank 2 has that scene of the two giant guys fighting. (laughs) Ah, yes. It's because they're just mocking this movie because Chev Chelios is nothing but King Kong in human form. 
where the more electricity he gets, the more powerful he gets. I was reminded of the original Kong movie. And like, I mean, I've been doing it this whole podcast. I've been like, ah, Kong's weak and all that. But you forget the way he took down that T-Rex. This scene reminds you of like, oh, that's right. Once he gets you down, Godzilla, he's really going to wail on you. Yeah, I, I love it when he gets hit by that lightning. You get those animated electrical marks all over him. He's, he's throwing punches. Again, it's so stupid. It's brilliant. That's what I love about these kind of B movies where, I don't know, it's almost all id. It's just like, hey, what kind of crazy stuff can we throw up there to make the kids come into the theater and, and see this? So yeah, as the two are fighting and they approach that giant temple, I'm like, hell yeah, that temple is going down. Let's punch that thing. This is why I watch Godzilla films. And yeah, they're fighting like I remember fighting in second grade. What you do, you take off your shoes, you're in your socks, you get that static cling going, you can go around and shock people. That's Kong's move now. He's just like, zap ya, I gotcha. Is that how you fought in elementary school? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would have thought of that? But it works, and they both go tumbling into the water, creating an earthquake. And so now we're dealing with giant tidal waves and any miniature they have is being washed away. Now, I watched the Japanese version first and I clearly saw how this fight ended and that Godzilla does not come up, Kong does, and he swims back home. In the English version, I had to rewind like three times. I kept being like, did I miss something here? They say the same things, but it does feel edited in such a way that I felt like I missed Kong's final triumph. Two things. One, they end the whole movie in the Japanese version with the Godzilla roar, so implying whatever. And two, the dialogue in the Japanese version implies that they're not sure what happened to Godzilla, whereas in the American version, it's much more like Kong won, and Godzilla must be defeated. It's a subtle difference, but they make the conclusion in the American release that Kong is winning and thus walking home in victory. Swimming home. Yeah, waiting. Or you could almost make the conclusion <laughs> in the Japanese version that he's crawling away in defeat uh, with his tail between his legs. While Godzilla is not shown at the end, you could say that, I mean, he did. He gave Kong a real ass-kicking, and so it's inconclusive. Yeah, the American version, you got Eric Carter, like, proudly pronouncing Kong the victor. It's much more definitive. There is some fear in the Japanese cut because they're like, where's Godzilla? Is he defeated? We don't know. He may come back. And he will for many, many, many more movies. All right. Well, who won? Kong, Godzilla, or the viewer? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend King Kong versus Godzilla? Jacob. I'm going to give it to the Japanese. I think they won. They have the better cut of the film. It's satirical. It's funnier. Uh, you know, the fighting stuff's more or less the same as the American version. And But yeah, I like this film. It is not a deep film. It, it is not serious art, but it is entertaining. It is campy. It is legit funny at times. And yeah, if you like dudes in rubber monster suits fighting, this is a movie that does that and does it entertaining. Even it, though it takes a while to get to that big face-off that you want there's enough before you get there at least for me there was there again i thought this was a pretty funny film with taco and the pharmaceutical company and it's a shame in the american cut that that gets scaled way back because it just misses something because of that i mean i could totally recommend the japanese cut uh, if all you could do is get your hands on the american one then yeah watch that too but i'm gonna give this a green arrow either cut because i want to i want people to watch this film it, it is fun it's entertaining hearty recommend for king kong versus godzilla Stuart. 
Yep, exactly the beatdown I wanted, the one that I remembered, and yeah, enlivened with goofy humor that still plays as an adult. I still find that I enjoy the jokes that are going on more in the Japanese cut. I'm definitely going to side with you on that one. And yeah, the theatricality puts WWF to shame. It really showcases why Godzilla was able to go beyond the somber first films and have a long movie career. Like, I mean, he could have just stopped with the 50s and been remembered as that metaphor for Hiroshima, but he has 32 other films in his repertoire because he came and had this fisticuffs with King Kong. I mean, it sometimes it takes the third movie to really set the tone. We've seen that with Goldfinger or Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. I think it's equally true here. It's the third film for Kong. It's the third film for Godzilla. I do think that Godzilla comes away looking better, both as a suit and in most of the fighting. As a fan, I think you're going to enjoy Godzilla more than if you're a King Kong fan here. But yeah, I definitely wish we were doing the Godzilla retrospective instead of the Gong one. I would much more want to watch him face off with Mothra than to where Kong is going to go, which I, in my memory, and I hope I'm wrong, a lot of the installments between now and Skull Island are not very good. But, you know, for this matchup, it's exactly what I wanted. I laughed, I cheered, I had a really good time. A strong recommend. Yeah, you say you wish you were doing the Godzilla films until you realize there's 32 more to go after this. (laughs) And they're as amazing as this one is. Yeah, I, I think I would have more recommends, honestly. But for me... The American version, I'll give a weak recommend to. I could, I'm really on the fence on the American version, and I'm surprised that it is so different, but it's just so clumsy in things. But yeah, the American version worked, but here's why the Japanese version worked so much better. is because, yeah, I mocked the miniature work in here, and when the... I dare not even call them puppets. They are like little statuettes or plastic toys that bang against each other. There's zero points of articulation there. I like the stop motion work, but the miniatures, the rubber suits, the hair suit. My God, when King Kong gets wet, (laughs) it's really a sight to behold Mm -hmm. and not in a good way. Oh, yeah. And that would be a real problem for me in a movie that was trying to take it serious. If these effects were in the 50s Godzilla film, and some of them kind of are, but not as bad, and they don't have the bad Kong suit. But if this movie were playing it serious, and the US version plays it more serious, it becomes a problem, because I'm laughing and smirking during the fights. I'm enjoying them, but I'm enjoying them in a comedic way. But when I watch the Japanese version, the whole thing is set up For laughs, the Mr. Taco pharmaceutical company, I need higher ratings, I'm tired of hearing about Godzilla, who's coming to destroy my town, but I'm tired of hearing about him on the television, we need to get my monster on the television. When the entire thing is campy and funny, then it meshes, and it just becomes a good time. So it's a really solid recommend for the Japanese version. I I had so much more fun than I thought I would, And I'm shocked because I thought I remembered other films where, like, during their big monster mashups with Mothra and Godzilla and Ghidra, I thought I remembered Kong and Son of Kong hanging out with them. But no, that didn't happen, did it? That's like a Mandela effect. Well, here's the thing. They bought the rights for only five years. 
they had a limited time to get Kong into future movies. This is, I believe, of the original run, what they called the Showa years of Godzilla, the highest grosser. It's the one that made the biggest impact. It was huge. And they wanted to keep Kong around. They had a plan for a part two rematch. They were going for it. I even read the story. Here's what it was going to be. Kong moved to Africa and was hanging out in the dark continent when a commercial airline from Japan crashes. He didn't cause it, but everyone dies on board except a baby. And he befriends this baby and starts to raise a human baby as his own. Already greenlighting it. (laughs) (laughs) The Japanese come to, like, you know, pick up the bodies, see what happened, get the black box. They see this giant gorilla playing with a Japanese baby. They want to reclaim it. I guess Kong fights a giant scorpion, and while he's doing that, they take the baby back. Kong gets very mad, stomps and chases them back to Japan to get his baby back, and (laughs) Tokyo's plan is... The only way to stop this, not kick the baby out. <laughs> the only way to stop this from happening, resurrect Godzilla. We're going to dig up his body from the bottom of the ocean, inject him with lightning, which now is going to help him come alive, and we're going to get some rematches again. So it was going to be a rematch, and none of them would survive. They were both going to end up falling into a volcano that was erupting. Again, it would be a draw. We would never see one win over the other. Could have been fun, but it sounded a little expensive. And again, five years passes fast. They had Godzilla tied up in other movies, including the Ghidra movie that everyone loves. And they only had time to make one other Kong film. We're going to review that next week. King Kong escapes. And he did. He will escape Japan after that film. But no Godzilla. So thank you for scaling this temple with us. And if you want more monster action this Friday, the final review in our Gold Grudge Retrospective series comes out. Yes, East meets West again with the American version of the J-Horror Classic Grudge now in theaters, already out, and we have reviewed it and will be releasing the show this Friday. You can support our show, donation of $25 or more. You get every Grudge review Plus, for Silver Level, you'll get all of those shows. There were five. It was two shows in one, really. All three I Am Legends. Yes, there were three, more than the Will Smith one. Charlton Heston may have had the best, finest moment, arguable. And then the two Zombieland movies. It was a zombie apocalypse five fur. And yes, if you go platinum, you'll be adding some more East-West dynamics with Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker, Rush Hour. That'll get started in just a couple weeks. Same time as Bad Boys for Life. So, a uh- Great time for some buddy cop films. Is it? I hope. (laughs) Yeah. Question mark. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your support of our show. This has been Now Playing, the eighth wonder of the world. I think he's had enough of what we call civilization. 
Thank you for listening to this now playing podcast movie review. It's no use. The show, it's over. It's done. I'm done. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Holy mackerel, what a show. If you enjoyed this show, please tell others. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Word will get out. It always does. Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Switch it on, like this, and you'll get them by matching. In our archives section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. Why don't those candy asses in New York hear about this one? A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday. So come back each week for another new show. This island is just the beginning. There's more out there. What do you mean? more this world never belonged to us it belonged to them the question is how long before they take it back kong is not the only king now playing relies on listener support to keep operating you suppose he knew he was saving my life you suppose he knew he was helping us of course not you want me to believe he was grateful you can support now playing by joining our podbean crowdfunding campaign Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at nowplayingpatron.com. I am a realist, and I need you, so I am going to be generous. I will let you go without a bit of trouble and with lots of cash. At our Podbean site, you can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. I'll give you another thousand to leave right now. You haven't given me the first thousand yet. You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Might as well settle up. You gonna pay me? I'm not gonna stiff a friend. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends, or not recommends. There was still some mystery left in this world, and we could all have a piece of it for the price of an admission ticket. The ebook is available now, and the print book will be shipping soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. Well, it better be good after all this valley. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. She could be hysterical, so come on, follow me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm someone you can trust. I'm a producer. Believe me, I am on the level. No funny business. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Sure, no, I've been a big help. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. All hands on deck! Everybody on deck! Everybody on deck! Now Playing credits read by Brock. I can't tell when I'm talking or when I'm not talking. You're talking. Am I? Yes. I'm talking? Yes. Your mouth is moving. 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. If you feel it, you say it. It's really very simple. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. You can't accuse me. You wasn't there. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. We must not panic. If there is one thing we cannot afford at this time, it is hysteria. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and may not be used without the expressed written permission of, Venganza Media Incorporated. You need to listen to us! We're not at war, Colonel. You're making a mistake. Your lies got my men killed. And you're going to get us all killed. Not our fight. Whose side are you on, Captain? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2020. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Why'd he do that? Climb up there and get himself cornered. The ape must have known what was coming. What does it matter? Airplanes got him. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. If you were bored, imagine what the sister was doing. <laughs> she was on the phone with her boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not the hotel's phone. That's an expensive call. Oh, yes. It was like a scene out of European vacation when we checked out. Yeah, I guess it was, what, the 80s, so <laughs> there were no cell phones unless you were Zach Morris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm talking 1980, 1981 here. They already have one on the market. It is called Passion, P-A-S-H-I-N. When you started to spell passion, I thought you were going to go into that 1990, like, New Jack Swing song. I would never sing that song. You like that song. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You're like, passion, P-A-S-H-I-O-N. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> okay. I prefer Godzilla's method of just, like, burying him like my dog does her poop. Like, he, like, gets him down in the rocks, and then it's just, like flicking more rocks atop him to just cover him up. Your dog buries its poop? Can it teach my dog that trick so I don't step at it? Oh, all dogs do that. You know how they use the hind legs to just kick the grass back and leave patches in your lawn. Oh, yeah, that. Okay. Okay. <laughs>